Hello and welcome to episode two of the Small Batch Podcast. Today I'll be interviewing David Spite, who is the executive chef of UBC. I am Abby Wiseman. I am the human behind Small Batch Vancouver and the host of this show. Every two weeks I bring a new guest on to talk about all things local food in Vancouver and around BC. If you like this podcast, please remember to hit subscribe and share with a friend. If you love this podcast and can't get enough of it, you can also leave a tip in our virtual tip jar, which can be found at smallbatchvancouver.com. And all tips really just go towards helping me grow Small Batch Vancouver so I can bring more local food news to you. So without further ado, here is David Spite. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, David. Thank you, Abby. Great to be here. So we met a few years ago um, at the From the Ground Up trade show that Andrea Gray Grant puts on uh, out of her Good to Grow headquarters in North Van. And we kind of just spent two days judging a bunch of food um, that was maybe not quite ready for the shelf yet. But uh, we were kind of the uh, gatekeepers of that decision <laughs> at that point. And I remember after you know day two, just sort of sitting there being like, who is this guy? what does he do? Like, what does an executive chef or any chef of a massive institution like UBC do? And, you know, after day two, I kind of cornered you and grilled you for about 20 minutes about what your role is and, you know, how does that work? Uh, To the point that I think Andrea wanted me to let you go. So I eventually did. But when I wanted to do the Small Badge podcast, I thought, you know, I always put you really high on the list because I don't think that people really know what it is that you do and the impact that an institution uh, like UBC can have on our local food system. So that's why I really want to talk to you today. Um, so people who, you know, most people don't know what it is you do. So really, like, what is your role as an executive chef of an entire campus? What is my role as an executive chef? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, it is it is uh, it's an amazing job. I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to do the work that I do. Um, you know, the easy answer is I oversee the culinary program at the University of British Columbia, both in Vancouver and Kelowna, uh, and we, um, you know, the the both campuses are very large. They're like their own cities. Uh, and we have many different food outlets on campus, ranging from residence dining to full service restaurants to catered events uh, to drop delivery, food trucks, um, cafes across campus. Uh, you name it, we do it. Uh, and, and so I oversee the food program. So that's that's the easy answer to what I do. Um, but it really is so, so much more than that. Um, one, one of the great things about working for a university such as UBC is the strong commitment to sustainability, uh, well-being, um, Indigenous food rights. Um, so my, my job really allows me to explore, challenge myself, learn new things and, and do projects on our campus that are at a very, very high scale, um, but still in a controlled environment. So um, I, I really, I, I enjoy all the different um, avenues that I get to explore within within this role. And I'm excited to talk about it with you today. Awesome. And so, like, you must, you know, you're not in the kitchens. You're sort of just overseeing the entire, like, program, you know, signing off on the final details of that. That's sort of, like, the role you end up doing. Because I think a lot of people always think chefs are always in the kitchen. But that's 
Not really the case. <laughs> that that's totally correct. Um, to say that I'm in the kitchen always is would be would be not true. Um, I spend more of my time usually in meetings behind desks, uh, in front of computer screens, um, and I, I like that. Um, but I I where my my true heart is is in the kitchen, working with people, working with ingredients, making food, uh, seeing people enjoy that food. That's what I truly love to do. Um, but this role is so much more than that. Um, and, and I've done that for a long time. When I was an executive chef in restaurants, uh, I was a working chef and I was online, you know, more often than not and, and working with the food and working with the people. Uh, and, and I did that for a long time. So um, not to say that I don't enjoy that anymore. Um, it is time for a, a kind of a new challenge in my life within the same profession. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I am now with, with my role at UBC. So what, um, you know, what brought you, why were you of all people probably applied for this job? Like, why were you the one chosen for it? What was it that you were bringing? Uh, I think I brought a vision um, and at, at the right time where UBC Food Services was looking for a vision within within their food system. Um, you know, we've we've all heard the horror stories of, you know, university dining programs and, and how, uh, average or below average that they used to be, and and UBC didn't want to to be in that uh, in that realm, and and wanted to really revolutionize their food um, food program. Uh, so I came about at the right time. Uh, I, I came with some good experience. I, I had just been at Rogers Arena for six years, so I really understood large scale food systems, uh, unionized staff environments, uh, large purchasing um, commitments. So uh, I had that foundation. But at, at the heart, I still am uh, a restaurant chef. I, I still think about the small details and the importance of making quality food from scratch. And so um, when I interviewed for the position, I was really keen to talk about that, uh, talk about where we could go with the food uh, and, and what we could do within the food system at UBC. And I think they like that. Uh, and, um, and, and so, you know, almost seven years later now, here we are. Uh, and, um, and I, I, I truly believe we have changed our food system on this campus. We absolutely have a lot more to do, but, um, if you look back from where we've come from, uh, it's, uh, it's quite impressive. I think about that when I was in university and I went to Portland and I remember like the healthiest thing on the menu was this, this cardboard veggie burger (laughs) and um that was kind of it and i don't know where their you know where their cafeteria is at now but you know they just had like a contracted out catering company that did it um which you know when you think about you know that university has a farm connected to it with their horticulture program but yeah it was not good it was not good at all so like when you uh, adopted the role what was the food program what did it look like and how have you changed it since what did it look like and how have I changed it? Um, you know, I, I I, have to caution myself because a lot of the same people work for me now that worked for, for the, the, the old regime then. So um, I, I don't want to speak too poorly about it, but it was, it was what you would uh, assume a university dining program would be like. Um, and, and that's not UBC's fault. That's just the entire industry. That's, that was the expectation from the students. That was the expectation of the, the food providers on, on campus. Uh, and, and that's just, um, you know, that's just how it went. 
Uh, and, and that's not how it's going, not only at UBC, but across North America and universities. There is a real push uh, to have better food. Um, people are understanding the importance of quality food. Uh, I, I mean, I, I reflect back at my time with Rogers Arena when I was cooking for the Vancouver Canucks. And when I was working with Roger Takashi on the menu, I mean, they were, they were crystal clear that what the athletes ate had an impact on how they performed on the ice. And it's no different for our students here at UBC. These are students that are preparing themselves to be the leaders of the next generation. Uh, and if we're going to not serve them food that's going to support their their academic growth, then, then that's a missed opportunity. Uh, and, and so we we understand that and, and we work towards, um, you know, achieving that goal. So uh, think things are different for sure. It's like that interesting, you know, the, the freshman 15 and, and th- that is a part of culture where it's like expected that you're going to be kind of unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, studying which is really like wild when you think about it um yeah it's interesting because it's it's an informative time of life for a lot of these people you know we 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 cater to all all different ages and all different types of people on our campus because we're so vast but predominantly uh, our customers are between the ages of 18 and 22. A lot of them are living on their own for the first time in their life. A lot of them are making their own food choices for the first time in their life. And and it's an opportunity for us to um, help shape those decisions that, that could grow with them for, for a lifetime of healthy eating. So um, we, we don't underestimate that role. No, definitely not. Like just so we had an idea of the scope and obviously before COVID, you know, times have changed a bit, but like what what would be like the number of students you would serve in whatever way you can kind of quantify that? Yeah, that's um, how how would I quantify how many people we serve? Um, there's many ways to do it. Um, one um, uh, one example in Vancouver pre COVID, all, all the numbers I will talk about is pre COVID for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, is um, we would do thirty thousand transaction a day in Vancouver. That could be as little as a cup of coffee for somebody, or it could be a plated three course dinner at an uh, at a wedding on a on a Saturday. Uh, afternoon at Cecil Green, so um, it, it ranges. So that that's um, you know that's not a great example, but it does give you the example of of how many customers we have in a day. Um, we have uh, five thousand four hundred students living with us in first year residence, where they have a mandatory meal program because they don't have kitchens in their rooms. So um, we look to those students as people that um, this is their home, this is where they live, this is where most of their meals are going to come from. Uh, and, and so um, that's a large number. And then with staff and faculty and events across campus, it, it really, uh, it really truly is large. Another way to quantify it is um, we were a nearing $50 million food and food and beverage business uh, in Vancouver alone, another 6 million in Kelowna uh, before the pandemic hit. So uh, I'm not positive, but we may be the largest uh, food and beverage business, single business in, in, in British Columbia. Um, and, and with that, we also had a purchasing budget of around $14 million in Vancouver on, on food and beverage. So, um, some really big numbers, um, that, that we yeah. deal with. Like for me, I think I said this to you earlier, like my brain does not quite compute those numbers in some ways and like, you know, okay, well, we need broccoli. Like how much broccoli do you need to feed that many people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an interesting, um, it's interesting to see to think that way, but you have to, you work in big systems. So, so coming in for, you know, coming back to that question of like, so how has it changed since, since you've come on board and what kind of programs have you implemented? 
Mm -hmm. How has it changed? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that we did was in 2017, we authored and launched our Food Visions and Values. Uh, that is a public-facing document that is on our website. We encourage our students to look at it, challenge us on it, uh, and it is a set of, um, of values that help inform our decision-making. Uh, some are more on the aspirational side where we want to be. Some we are absolutely doing a really good job of already. Um, but by having our food vision and values committed to, um, it, it really provides a structure um, for how we want to move forward as a, as a business. Uh, and it also holds us accountable, which is really, really important because, you know, every business I've ever worked for absolutely wants to do all the great things, whether it's you know, sustainability issue initiatives, quality food, making things from scratch, um, you know, programs for your staff. Um, these are all things that nobody doesn't like to do until they realize that they, co they cost money. Uh, and, and that's usually the barrier, um, even before UBC, for sure. Um, but when you commit to something, then it, it forces you to really evaluate those decision-making um, processes a little bit more and, and, uh, and, and grounds you in what you believe your organization should do. So um, our food vision of values are, I think, really important to our business. Um, I believe the University of Stanford food program also has a set of values, um, but we've been doing scans across North America within university food programs to see who else has a set of values that helps inform their decisions. And there's not many out there. Um, so I think it is um, a, kind of a, a groundbreaking thought to do this as a food program. Uh, and whenever people ask me, you know, what's, what was the one thing, if you could say one thing, um, that's helped move the the food program along, and and I always come back to our food visions and values and committing to those. Uh, and, and one thing I will say is, UBC is a self operated food business, um, so we're not contracted out. We're not a uh, part of a third party, um, you know, global corporation that does this all across the world. Um, we are UBC. We have no business outside of UBC. So we are able to make our own decisions. Of course, we have a budget that we have to adhere to. Uh, but beyond that, it allows us to align ourselves with the goals of the university in, in a much, much better way than, say, a third party uh, company that has its own uh, set of values to, to adhere to. So um, I think we have a, a great opportunity with, with that fact. What are the few kind of um, highlights of those kind of values just for people to understand? Mm -hmm. Some of the highlights from our food visions of values, um, local purchasing, 100%. Um, we had a strong commitment to local purchasing even before I got here, which was great. Uh, we continue to, to evolve that. Um, another one would be uh, the change from uh, using ready-to-eat processed foods in our in our environments and moving to more um, quality ingredients made in-house from scratch uh, that was that was a big one um, and then you know we talk about um, waste reduction uh, reducing our plastic usage um, you know we also talk about employee um, programs training programs uh, we've got a extensive culinary apprenticeship program that we launched in 2018 that falls within our food visions and values. Um, so they, they really are sweeping. Uh, a healthy beverage initiative jumps out as another one. A few years back, we made a push to reduce the, the uh, sugar-sweetened beverage consumption on our campus. Um, so there, there's, there's a lot that, that falls within our food visions and values for sure. I think about this because, so I've been doing a lot of uh, website building, writing and stuff like that lately. And I have 
terrible habit of needing to have some sort of sweet or something when I write or if I'm kind of stressed out with a project and like M&Ms are my kind of go-to and I know I shouldn't say that but it's true. M&Ms are great. It's all about balance. I mean, we're we're not the sugar police. Um no. but, but it's just so funny. I think that's like a part of my that comes from years of working in schools where like that, you know, that food was just very uh, readily available so it became a part of my like study habits and now as a writer it's still right. part of my habits and I'm like maybe frozen blueberries will do the trick instead and it just never has <laughs> <laughs> see there you go those are those informative years where you've shaped your 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 food choices that, yeah. are, that are sticking with you well that was the only you know those were the only kind of options for you there mm-hmm. like uh, and I just don't think that like at the time, and I talked to my mom about this a lot, like, I don't think the awareness was there. You know, I'm an 80s kid, like, I don't think the awareness was there around what some of this food really is, and that there's other options out there. Um, You know, it's so easy for us to sit where we are now and be like, oh, well, locals this and, you know, but you know, I think in the 90s, having imported food was like sophisticated, it was, you know, it was, it was the thing to do, you know? Um, and like, Oh, Costco food, like is so easy. Like why not? You know? Um, so that's always, it, it, it's a shift in mentality. And, and like, do you think the students really notice what you're doing? Yes. Um, I think, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there's, there's a great, um, the fact that we get a new crop of students every year is, is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also comes with challenges. Um, do they notice? They, they absolutely notice, but they also expect it. You know, they, they're, you know, similar to what you just said about growing up in the 80s, you know, they expect to be able to have poke at their university dining experience if, if that's what they want. You know, that's not, that, that's, for us, that's really creative and brand new, but that's, that's where they're starting at now. So, um, and, and I think that there is a definite, um, uh, awareness around uh, the environment that that wasn't um, so prominent when we were younger. Uh, you know, a lot of our students um, want to be able to eat plant-based diets and, and make the right choice. Uh, and so they help drive this as much as we do. So um, I believe there is an expect, expectation that, um, that these types of uh, offerings are available to them when they, when they arrive at UBC. They're like, what is this cardboard veggie burger that you're trying to serve me? Again? Right. <laughs> We're protesting. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Those those days are gone. Those days are definitely gone. So, you know, you talked about incorporating local into the program. So, like, what does that look like? Um, what does that mean? Because a lot of people are like local, but they don't actually know how to incorporate it or what to do with it or where to go. So, how do you incorporate local into the? How do we incorporate local? That that's um, that, that's a good question. I've answered that a, a bunch of times uh, recently because I am now part of the Feed BC committee, uh, which is a initiative from the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries, um, supporting post secondary institutions to purchase more local, which I think is excellent. Um, but the first thing you need to do is define local because a lot of people have different definitions for local. Um, and we have a different definition for local than even FeedBC does. FeedBC is the ministry of the province. So their definition is going to be anything within BC, rightfully mm-hmm. so. Uh, we've got a different definition, and that's because um, we already report out to um, an organization called STARS, which is a sustainability, university sustainability rating system. 
Uh, and and so the fact that we already report out two stars, um, we've aligned our definition with that different definition, um, which is basically 400 kilometers uh, within the campus. Uh, and, um, and that does get us into the Okanagan region just barely. So that's helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. and also Vancouver Island. Um, so, so one of the first key things is to, to define local and then understand, um, you know, what you want to achieve. So whether that's setting targets, um, and, um, and trying to achieve those targets, uh, measuring your local purchasing. If you don't measure it, you really have no idea if you're doing good or for, if there's opportunities for improvement. Um, so I think setting targets and measuring um, those those goals are, are important if you want to grow that. Uh, and and just commit to it. I mean, it's always going to be easier to buy something from a mainline supplier that is likely a you know an American corporation that's sourcing food from all over the globe. Um, you know, they deliver to our campus six days a week. It's very, very easy. Um, but you gotta, you gotta work harder. You just gotta figure out your priorities and and make it a priority, uh, and support the local businesses and, and find ways to support the local businesses. And we, we get quite creative about that. Um, you know, we will give a small scale BC food business, uh, a lot more time and, and our, our efforts and our energies to get them into our business than we would um, if they weren't local. So, um, you need to embed it in, uh, into your value proposition as an organization. Uh, I think for us, it's, it's an obvious, we're a publicly funded British Columbia university. Mm-hmm. Um, food services is, isn't publicly funded. We are, we, 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 we are, we generate our own revenue. Um, but the university is, and we, like I alluded to earlier, pre-pandemic, we would spend about $14 million annually on food and beverage, and we could spend that within our province, or we could spend it outside of our province. And and obviously, spending it within our province supports British Columbians, it supports farmers, it, it supports food businesses. Uh, and, and with our uh, sheer size, um, we have the ability to really, you know, be a uh, a good starting point for a small scale business to, to, you know, get their foot in the door. And, and we're happy to play that role. And the last thing I'll say on that is I know that other uh, companies, you know, like some of the big ones, like, you know, Coke or Red Bull or whatnot, um, you know, they're not foolish. They understand that our demographic is 18 to 22 year olds. And if you can get your product in front of 18 to 22 year olds, that is a massive win. Um, so that, that rings true for small scale BC businesses as well. If, if we can get their products in the hands of, of, uh, our students, that's, um, you know, that could have a lifetime of, of positive benefits. So, um, that's what, that's why we do it. That's a good note actually for a small, you know, anybody who's listening, who's a small business owner, it's, you know, I have no idea how you would get those products in front of you or other people, uh, maybe an email, but, um, you know, but yeah, that would be a good starting point to scale quickly too. Cause mm-hmm. I think, you know, talking to a lot of the businesses, it's um, they kind of, you know, do, hang out at the farmer's market level. Maybe they get into whole foods, maybe this, but in order to really make a long-term, you know, business where they're not, you know, these aren't people who are making millions of dollars. Like this is not a get rich quick situation. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, misgivings about that. Um, but in order to make enough money to make it make sense over time, they need to scale quite a bit higher. And that's really hard to do locally. Um, at that point, then they start looking at getting at least across Canada and maybe into the States. Um, and 
so actually it's funny because I was talking to Andrea Gray Grant again and she was talking about how she wants to get institutions on board of supporting more local and your name obviously was brought up again she's like there's not enough David Spates in the world (laughs) sorry Spates in the world um and um and and kind of her mission to kind of make that happen and so you know from your point of view when you can see what you're doing and the skill that you're working at you know, do you think that you have an impact on the local food system? And like, what does that, how big do you think that impact can be if other institutions get on board too? Um, yes, absolutely. I think we have a, an impact. I know we have an impact. Um, and it's well, one of the great things about working within university environments that I've found over the last, um, well, almost seven years that I've been here is there is this great um, network of sharing amongst universities. And it's simple. It's we don't compete for the same customers. You know, the customers at SFU are not coming to UBC for lunch and, and vice versa. So um, they're unlike the private sector where everyone's, you know, fighting for their own customers and then trying to do everything to get people to choose their restaurants. Uh, we just don't have that. So um, we share a lot of information and ideas and, I like to think that everything that we do at UBC uh, has a huge impact simply based on the the sheer scale of, of the business that we operate and, mm-hmm. and who our customers are. But beyond that, we challenge other Canadian or North American universities to follow our lead. And we also turn to them to, to show us great things that they're doing. Um, so some of the initiatives that happen on this campus absolutely can be scaled up across Canada or across North America. Uh, and and they may not help BC businesses, but if if an Ontario university is choosing to support more Ontario businesses, well, that's great too, uh, and that's exactly what we should be doing. So, um, in, in this community, there is this really close network um, of chefs and and food operators um, that um, that like to to talk and and learn from each other. So, um, yeah, so it's it's more than just what's happening on this campus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every campus could put in 14 million or whatever into the, you know, or not just that, companies, big businesses um, that feed their, you know, uh, the convention center. They have a lunch program there. I catered there for a few months, years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Or cater waiter, I should say. Um, You know, they could kind of dump some money into the system. I think that, you know, these small producers would have, would never even really have to be on the shelf in a way. They would have a supply and that would support the entire system. So, yeah, I think that's one of the good things about this new Feed BC committee that's focused on post-secondary institutions. Um, I think there's a similar one focusing on um, like the healthcare institutions as well. Uh, People don't quickly think about these businesses uh, when they think about food. If you're a farmer or a food producer or a, a seller of food in general, you think restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and chain restaurants if you want to think big um, but I again like I alluded to earlier I'm not sure that there's a bigger food business in British Columbia than UBC um, and and if there is the close second might be another university just based on sheer size we feed thousands of people every single day even now during the pandemic where restaurants are are closed for indoor dining and uh, takeout and uh, and patio only we still have thousands of people here every day that we're feeding um and so we're still the biggest food uh, food business in, in in this province even now so um on sheer size alone um i i think it's it's great that the ministry is looking at institutions as an opportunity to support bc food businesses 
feels like an obvious, you know, it's shocking. It hasn't been done before in some ways, but you know, that is sometimes it's like the obvious. It, obvious. it seems like that, doesn't it? Um, yeah. it? But I mean, again, it's like, I, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago in, in the university dining programs, I mean, they were buying like pre-processed food from wherever the cheapest spot they can get it, you know? So I, I suppose the, the evolution of, of what university food programs are about these days also supports that, um, you know, the probably weren't buying a whole lot of farm product 10, 15 years ago um, in universities anywhere across Canada. And, and now we are, you know, so um, in a way the markets opened up. Super interesting. So I kind of want to talk a little bit before I let you go about um, how COVID's impacted or impact. I don't know if impacted is actually a word. Um, has, you know, impact the business you run and, you know, in a way your purchasing power has probably changed. Um, so yeah, what's happened with COVID? Yeah, I mean, like us, um, our world turned upside down um, May 13th or whatever day it was last year. Um, it was dramatic for us as it was for everybody else. Um, you know, we were uh, a little bit different than, say, a regular restaurant or, or food business. It, we, we have people that live here. Um, and, and last March, you know, it wasn't as easy as, you know, we're going to close the doors and, and stay home and work from home and, and, and try to stay safe in that regard. We, we, this is people's homes and people live here and they rely on us for food every day. We are, uh, what I would classify a 100% essential service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Last year, we, we closed most of our retail units immediately um, and, and our catering business and our restaurants. I mean, they, they closed simply because of lack of demand. There was no more staff and faculty on campus. Um, they, they are able to work from home in a way that our students weren't or aren't. So um, that part of our business dried up immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And then we still had our residents dining students with us until the end of April. Um, and... And then it's just the uncertainty, you know, um, you know, even this time last year, um, we didn't know what it looked like two months from now. And then in the summertime, we didn't know what it would look like for September and September. We didn't know what it looked like for January. And even now, um, we're more optimistic of what it may look like for next September, but it, it's still, you know, there's nothing confirmed. Um, we're hopeful that we'll have more, uh, on campus activity, um, beginning in September, 2021, but there's no guarantees towards that. So, um, it, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Our purchasing power has, has dropped. Um, you know, we are operating, I'd say at about 20% of our business levels right now, which is up from about 10%, um, initially on in the pandemic. So, you know, that's, that, that's like dropping off a cliff, you know? Um, yeah. so it's, it's been very impactful, um, one of the great things that we are able to do is create these awesome COVID safety plans that allow us to remain open and, and service our community. Um, you know, Vancouver Coastal Health is well aware of what we're doing because we are such a, a large provider of services uh, within within their jurisdiction. We work closely with Vancouver Coastal Health and the, and the provincial health officers um, to figure out a way to keep our businesses open and even this most recent um, uh, shutdown and restrictions with restaurants doesn't apply to us in our residence dining area because we have a, a proven COVID safety plan. Um, you know, we are a closed loop environment within residence dining. We're not letting any other, anyone, anyone from the outside in. It's just the students that live here that are able to access our, our, our operation. Uh, every time they make a purchase with us, um, we, we, we are able to track who's in the building. So if we had to contact Trace, we're, we're definitely set up for that. So, 
Um, so we're, we're doing a good job of, of, of servicing our community within, within the pandemic, but it's, it's, you know, I want to get back to the fun stuff, like making great food and planning, you know, um, you know, farm trips for my chefs so they can, they can get their hands in the soil and, and meet the farmers and get out there myself and, and, and meet small, small food business owners and learn about their products. And, um, and, and that stuff's not happening these days. So no. uh, it, it's definitely been a shift. That's been a bummer for me too. I'm always like, well, I do need photos, but mm-hmm. how do you feel about this? Or, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a, a line to walk on that. So do you know what, you know, since you're not able to purchase as much as you usually do, do you know what other avenues those farmers and makers are going, you know, where their product is going? Yeah, that's a good question. Where Where is their product going? Um some of them are, are simply making less and growing less for sure. I remember right at the pandemic last year, uh, it was a pivotal time for our very own UBC farm. They were just about to put seeds in the ground and they didn't know a, if they were going to be allowed to and continue to operate as an, as a essential service on our campus. Uh, and even if they were allowed to, they didn't know where they would, um, what outlook they would have for that food. Um, we certainly wouldn't be buying it in the same um, levels that we historically had and, and same with the restaurants. Um, so they did, they did move forward with the harvest last year. Um, they were granted essential service rights by the university and had, had a COVID safety plan produced so that they can, they could operate their farm, which was great. Uh, they were still able to operate farmers markets in the summer, obviously with COVID restrictions. Um, CSA boxes were, were more popular as this, you know, groceries delivered to your house uh, concept become became a lot more prevalent in the last year. Um, and we also, we did something because we had more time last summer uh, that we'd never done before. And we bought a whole bunch of their products uh, and um, did some jarring and some pickling and, and extended uh, the season on uh, some farm fresh vegetables that we still are serving in our, in our dining environments now, um, which is something we're just going to do every summer now, you know, and then that's, you know, that's a silver lining in COVID. We hadn't had the time before to, uh, to do that. And and now that we we've seen that we can do it and how great it is, that's just going to be something we do every summer now to extend the, the season of, of the farm fresh produce. So um, yeah, uh, you got to think differently. I have a vision of an entire like basement full of jars of like carrots. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it wasn't a basement. It was our kitchens and it was like racks and upon racks of, of, you know, carrots and, and, and uh, a whole bunch of other vegetables, turnips and such in, in jars. And uh, we even put them on display in our, in our dining hall um, and then um, have been using them on our salad bars and in some recipes throughout the, uh, the winter season. So, um, you know, you got to take the winds where you can get them. Yeah. I mean, what a cool way to kind of get back to roots in a way, because that's how people used to preserve food, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are going back on the individual level to some of these things like fermented products, pickle products. I mean, I always say I'm going to do it every year, but then I don't because I'm like that. <laughs> I have a small kitchen, so I'd have to take over say, my mom's kitchen and she would not be happy about that. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, is there anything else you think that people should know before I uh, let you go about, um, you know, about buying local, supporting local and also on the institutional level? Um, sure. I mean, I think one of the last things is, um, I've been speaking today with my, my 
kind of business cap on for the most part, talking about uh, purchasing power and, and dollars and cents. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I am an executive chef and food is where my heart is. And uh, food tastes better if it's traveled a shorter distance to your doorstep before you cook it or eat it, full stop. Um, and, and so when we're talking about local food, um, I know that we're talking about quality food. Um, you know, I, I'm tired of serving tomatoes that were picked in California and were ripened on a truck in transport. They're just, they're garbage. They don't taste like tomatoes. They don't have good nutritional value. Um, so, um, and, and that's, that's important for us at the university of British Columbia, but it should be important for everybody in your, in your house and, 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 you know, the food that you eat, um, you know, obviously from an envir- environmental aspect, if it's traveled less is better, but more importantly, it tastes better and it's better for you. Uh, and that is at the root of why we do this. Um, you know, there's so many other positive reasons that we talked about, uh, throughout this call. Um, but at the end of the day, the food's better. And, and that's what, um, that's what we should be serving. I so wish you were the executive chef when I was in school. Even that school. <laughs> but, oh Don't well. get me wrong. Our students still challenge us oh, um, yeah. and, as they should, as they should, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. It's diverse, right? <laughs> you can't make, you know, 54,000 people happy every single day. Um, but no. we, we, we do our best to, to do that. Um, no, and, and, and you're right. It's, it's changed a lot. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to do the work that I'm doing. We've got a really great team that I get to work with here at the, at the university of British Columbia. Uh, and, uh, it's been fun. It's been a journey, but, um, it, it's, it's a good one. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, this has been fun and definitely learned a lot and I hope everyone has too. So we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Abby. Thanks for having me on. I wish you the all the, the success with your, your podcast series. And thank you for profiling local food. Um, I think it's it's important that, um, you know, uh, our voices are heard and, and, and more people get to um, understand why it's important. So thank you for, for helping to share that, that message. Oh, my pleasure. That's what I'm here for. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode two of the Small Batch Podcast. If you loved this episode, please give it a like, uh, subscribe to it, and share it with some friends. Um, If you really loved it, you can also leave uh, Small Batch a tip in our virtual tip jar, which you can find at smallbatchvancouver.com. All tips will go towards building Small Batch and growing it so that, you know, we can do more uh, food coverage. So find that at smallbatchvancouver.com and tune in in two weeks for our next episode of the Small Batch Podcast.